want to greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. It's truly good to be in the house of the Lord. I find it a real blessing to be able to concentrate on, on God's Word and, and have the good fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters one day of the week where, where I can feel like I'm getting refreshed and re-energized and ready to uh, go out and meet the demands that are part of my world and I expect you feel the same way because the world is a demanding place for most of us at least I think for all of us let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 brother Greg uh, referred to this morning how that we should read the word and look at it uh, more in a sense of what is God trying to teach me instead of in an objective sense all the time. I think it's important that we develop an object, objective understanding of the Bible. But more, most important it is that the Word speaks to us, like he mentioned. And this morning, uh, maybe there will be a bit, of a bit more of a twist than what there normally is on this passage. Uh, but that's how God was speaking to me. Uh, as I studied this passage, 1 Corinthians 13. I would like to read, uh, start with reading 12, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, uh, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not 17, 27. And then go through uh, the chapter 13. So backing up to verse 27 of uh, chapter 12. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And this is certainly an excellent passage. The way of love, uh, chapter 13. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have no charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseeming. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. Beareth all things, <coughs> beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. <coughs> Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child. 
I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. So now, at this time, there abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. And yet, it says back in verse 8, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. All these things shall leave. But it says, Charity never faileth, but the greatest of these is charity, is love. So this morning, I would like to, or I will be speaking to the family, applying this passage to the family. Um, It's been a, a topic that I've been looking at for some time now. I'll be sharing some this evening uh, in the in our church vision uh, as as a ministerial body on different issues. I'll be looking at the family. Also, have another uh, assignment that I was thinking of when I was when I was thinking of of uh, this passage. And uh, somehow or other, as I as I work through here. I guess God was speaking to me, and and this passage started coming closer to home. Maybe on more on how parents relate to children, um, than maybe on the broader uh, relationships of the family. But I think it all ties together. So this morning I'll be looking at this on, uh, and and trying to to paraphrase it as it, as I would see. Uh, God speaking to parents and how to to raise their children, how to communicate to their children. So I'm going to start here, verse 13 again. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though though I, as a parent, uh, come through as intellectually master of my children, Though I can carefully articulate very beautiful, profound, and meaningful thoughts or prayers, though I can communicate well my thoughts to all my peers around me, and my peer base be as broad, or all my friends' base be as broad as the earth and extend up into the clouds, though I become popular, and extolled for my oratorical powers and my persuasive powers and my spiritual powers. Though I be an excellent Sunday school teacher, a song leader, or a preacher, if I don't have a godly, genuine love for my family, for my husband, for my wife and children, if I have not a genuine interest in their lives and interest love for them and an interest in their interests, a genuine desire to see them succeed in God's calling for their, for their lives. If I have all this talent, if I don't have, but if I don't have that love, I've become a sounding brass 
or a tinkling cymbal in their ears. In fact, if I don't have a love and interest for my child that goes deep, deep-seated in God's love, I risk, even if I have all these other powers, I risk become, becoming a, a just a terrible annoyance to, to my children. The parent that is this way just, just risk becoming a real bad sound in the ears of their children. Even if all they say is right and all they do is seems right, if they don't have that deep interest in love that comes from God. And though I have the gift of prophecy, verse 2, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains. Remember Jesus saying that if you have enough faith, you can remove mountains. So if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. Paraphrasing again. Though I can open the Bible and family devotions and carefully divide the scripture, Though I can explain how the old law is different from the new law. What was the sin of the Pharisees? Why Job was tested? Why God would have tested him? How will be the second coming of Christ? Though I can teach him the headship order, the doctrines of non-resistance and non-conformity, and fully understand myself the doctrine of salvation and be able to expound that to them. Though my faith has no bounds, making me fearless, in the advancement of the kingdom and without thought of tomorrow, if I don't have a real godly love and interest for my family, for my children, for my wife, for my husband, all the above will prove meaningless. I am nothing. Thinking a bit about taking an interest in our children, especially thinking of fathers and mothers here in how they relate to their children, taking a godly interest in our children. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up the child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I sat in a meeting one time where they were talking about transferring ownership of businesses to the third generation. So this, this was a meeting where there were many, a lot of successful businessmen that were in attendance. And, and the concern was, is how can we effectively transfer ownership, meaning how can we get our children to take ownership of our businesses to the first, second, third? And, and, and the thought there was, is often father starts the business, son takes it on. He has the vision to take it on. But grandson, he's looking for the cash. and He's willing to sell the business and move on and take the money. And, uh, and, and, and there was valid concern shared. But, but what bothered me was how that several businessmen there were sharing and they came through that, you know, their, their business was so much more important than it seemed to me than their children were. They were, how can we do this? How can we share the vision? And how can we make something? They'll pick it up and take it. And I was thinking, well, you know, the thoughts came to my mind. What if that child doesn't want a business like that? What if God's not calling to that, to, to, to that role? What if he wants to be something else, you know, like uh, totally different from that? Um, and 
And you know, that was never mentioned though. So how can we get our children to take this up and keep it being profitable from, from you know, generation to generation? Well, this verse here is not saying train up the child into my business, into shrock construction, or into being a doctor, into being a farmer, or into being whatever else we represent here this morning. Uh, this is saying train up the child in the way God has intended for him to go. That's how I would read this. Look for your child's interest. Look for your child's talent. Find out what he, what God has, has placed in his life. And, and take those talents and direct them in the way he should go. Those talents are, are materials that can be useful for his life, but he needs direction. I had to think if we have two dogs, and uh, I enjoy dogs, if, if not for anything else than just for watching. They're just fun to, to observe. And we have one that's a blue healer, and we have one that's a, a bird dog. King Charles Cavalier, he has a big, long handle. He's, he's beautiful, smaller dog, lap dog. Uh, so the, the blue healer, Archie is his name, um, he, he's a herder, and, and, and he, he knows, you, you can see it coming through him. He, he pushes, he pushes uh, you know, whether it's Fritz, which is the bird dog, or whether it's us or the chickens, he'll, he already at a young age will push them around and try to get them to go where, get other things to go where he wants them to go. And he's actually useful uh, at times. Other times he's a great annoyance. Uh, and then Fritz, you know, he's the bird dog and, and uh, he basically looks up in the sky and chases the airplanes. And... Um, is a lap dog. He really likes lots of attention, and so does Archie. Now, Archie has figured out that he can herd Fritz away from us, even, so that he gets the attention. Um, you know, both of them have their inclinations, and to to try to teach Fritz, the bird dog, to be a herder would just be senseless. Uh, and to teach Archie, well, Archie'd learn about anything. I mean, he'd be annoying about anything, but. You know, he's not really a bird dog, and, and it doesn't really come through as, as being that. Well, that's a rather crude example, but it's better than picking on my children. Um, but, you know, you, you see what I'm saying. We, we, we look for their tendencies, what, what they're useful and strong at, and we, we build on that. And, and I'm not here this morning saying I've succeeded. It's actually easier for me right now, I think, than maybe it will be 20 years from now. Because, you know, I can see what my ideals are. I don't have to, uh, I mean, I'm sure that at any time I could be hugely embarrassed. But um, these, these are the things that I've, I've seen in other godly families, other godly people, and, and admired in, in my own parents. And I've seen shortcomings in myself and in other people as well. Uh, and I think we all can do better no matter where we're at. So here, directing our children, train up the child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's a general rule. Uh, there can be exceptions. People can take their own way. And it happens at times, and it's sad. But it, it, uh, when a child is trained up in the way he should go, it's much less chance he'll be frustrated and discouraged. And then we have the rod, a parent has at his disposal the rod that's God-ordained. 
Proverbs 13.24 says this, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. It doesn't say he that spareth his rod is a, is a loving parent. No, it says he that spareth his rod actually hateth his son. He despises his, his son. Then, of course, in, in Hebrews, it talks about that, that God chastises his sons. And if he wouldn't chastise us, we'd be bastards or we'd be something other than a son, a lesser a lesser uh, child. Not a real son, but more like a servant or of that nature. So he that spareth his rod hateth his son. I'm going to step out a bit here. The rod, you know, what does that mean? I believe the rod is whatever tools parents have at their disposal to bring the child's attitude to a willing obedience. Now, you know, that doesn't, of course, mean brutality or cruelty or meanness. <clears throat> but I'm talking about tools of, that a parent can use, whether it be at times it needs to be the belt, at times it needs to be the stick. For me, it was my father's hand that was plenty. That was all that was needed. And uh, I remember talking to other children. He said, you know, their dad uses the belt. And I was like, you should just feel my father's hand once. Uh, I, um, I think, you know, parents, when they, when they truly love their children and they're directing them the way they should go in a godly sense, um, they'll know what the child needs. And it's not always in the form of a, of a instrument of punishment. It gets off, sometimes it's simply in the form of a scolding or maybe a privilege withheld. Uh, <clears throat> maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's direction. The rod and the staff, they comfort me, David says. Uh, but especially maybe during the formative years, ages of two, three through seven. This is maybe the time when more, as we term it, corporal punishment uh, should be administered. Although I think even then uh, it needs to be done carefully and, and with a lot of thought of how the child uh, reacts to it. I know for us it's been different for each of our children. Some of them, uh, it seems like they needed more corporal punishment. Others didn't respond as well to it. Responded better to scolding when they had done wrong or when they uh, needed to move ahead. Others, uh, and then encouragement is always just such a good tool. Um, encouragement, walking with your child through the problem, talking through the problem with them and, and moving them ahead. But the, but the rod is whatever tools the parents have at their disposal. That's a lot of tools, really, that God gives parents. They give them God. God gives parent gives parents wisdom. He gives them knowledge. He gives them the ability to to uh, talk, to minister to their children. Um, but I don't think we should avoid using the rod when it's necessary. And there are times when it's necessary. Lack of diligence in applying punishment really translates to lack of, of love and lack of godly interest. He that spareth the rod hateth his son. He that loveth him chasteneth him. Correction in proportion to unbind the propensity is, is one thing I jotted down. 
is how it came, the thought that came to me. Correction in proportion to unbind the propensity. Uh, Proverbs 22:15 says it this way, foolishness is, un, is bound in the heart of a child. So we need to unbind that propensity. We need to unwind that in them. Not all sins are equal. Not all punishments should be equal. You know, certainly willful rebellion is different than a child's angry reaction at his siblings teasing, isn't it? I think it is, and I think it needs to be dealt with differently. Not all temperaments are equal in children either. And, and of course, the rod, as I mentioned, is age-sensitive. It can change. But it's only useful when it's, and it's only effective when it's used with love and for the nurturing of the child. Foolishness is the ingredient of every child's life that has the potential to turn their talent into tinsel or worse. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Foolishness is that ingredient that has the potential to turn a child's talent into tinsel, into something that's not worthwhile. Knowledgeable and loving application of the rod has the ability to unwind and remove that, that foolishness. Proverbs 23.12 says this, Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Now that sounds pretty drastic there. I'll maybe rephrase it a bit. A spanked administered with love or a privilege withheld will not kill. It'll bring life. It has the potential to bring life and to, uh, to withhold uh, punishment, to withhold uh, taking action when action is needed. That has a potential to kill. That has a potential to let that foolishness simply bind that child's heart more and more. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reign shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth, but the righteous shall see their fall. Correct thy son, he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. It's a longer portion of scripture here, but I, I thought it all ties together well, especially with the last verse, with verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. I think that has a lot to do with, with um, training up our child in the way they should go. We have a vision for our children. It makes it much easier for us to know how to use the rod, how to comfort, how to encourage, how to take our children the right way. Now, that doesn't mean that I know now, you know, what each of my children are going to be when they grow up. You know, I don't pretend to, to know that. Only God knows that. But I do know, I do see inclinations coming from each of them. We, we do, Elise and I do see you know, we, we, we observe with great interest how that one is interested in this and the other one's more inclined to that. And uh, 
you know, it's, 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 it's beautiful to watch that. And also you see with the strengths, wrapped up in the strengths, are weaknesses as well. And, uh, and that's where a parent needs to be discerning. When a child has a great strength for, let's say, leadership, uh, you know, in that we need, we need to help that child to develop a grace, don't we? We need to help him to develop a, a sense of, of working with others and not being a, a lone leader, uh, one that aggravates everyone else. So, so that's the parent's responsibility, training up their child in the way he should go. Corrected children equal happy children. It's no fun heading down a path of uncertainty. A, a corrected child, I believe, is a is an evidence of a of a parents of a of parents with vision. An uncorrected child, same thing, is an evidence of parents without vision. Parents that aren't at least willing to put themselves into their vision or follow through. <clears throat> Verse 3 of uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So as a parent, though I work night and day to support my family, you know, truly our children would be poor without us as parents, wouldn't they? Without father and mother, they would be poor. So I think we can apply this verse here. And though we submit ourselves to, especially think of mother here, mothers here, to sleep-deprived nights. <clears throat> and uh, I admire our mothers for that, especially uh, my wife, for her contribution to our family in that respect. Though I get my family to church every Sunday morning in time, and, uh, and every time the church doors are open, Though I sacrifice financially to send my children to a Christian school. Though I take my children on camping trips and suffer mosquito bites, dirt, and nighttime potty trips in the dark. Uh, for you all of the, you have gone camping, you know what that's about. Uh, Three-year-old child. Uh, anyways, we won't go into detail there. But there's, there's a lot more about camping than just being out in nature. Let's put it that way. There's a lot of work involved. Though I work hard in the garden in hot sunshine, spending hours putting away harvest fruit for my family, though I spend lots of time helping my children with their homework, their Bible memory, help them rehearse their program assignments, speaking to mothers and fathers and all of this, if I don't truly love them with a godly love and interest, it will not profit. It has the potential or the, all of the, you know, the things that we do to sacrifice for our family have the potential not to profit if they don't come from a heart of godly love and interest for our children. <clears throat> if they don't come because of the right motives. Charity suffereth long, verse 4. In his kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Love is 
visionary. It's not reactionary. Parents use the rod, and I am using the rod quite a bit this morning. I hope you don't think I have an obsession with it, but parents use the rod to give direction, and even when it'd be easier to lay down the rod and rest, they don't do it. Loving parents won't do that. Love suffers long and, and, and with kindness. It will not simply let the erring child move in whatever direction the water swirls. It won't just sit back and, and let the child go. <clears throat> Speaking to charity, envieth not, isn't, vaunteth not itself. <clears throat> Sorry, my... <clears throat> Got something caught in my throat. Charity vaunteth on itself. The loving parent isn't afraid of being trumped. He isn't intimidated to learn from his children. In fact, he, he so delights in seeing his children grow up in the learning process that it's natural for, for him or her to, to get caught up in their child's growth and forget they're being passed, I believe. You know, I find that happening already. It's attributes, I guess, either to my ignorance or to our school's excellence. But, you know, I love that. Seeing, seeing I think a, a parent loves to, to see their child pass them up and, and uh, to be able to, to learn from their children in respects. The loving parent vaunteth not itself. It isn't like a rooster or a peacock who feels a need to get in front of the family and let them know who's in charge. Love leads by example, not by bluff and bluster. Loving parents seek to create leadership qualities in their children by letting them lead when possible and appropriate. Loving parents are willing to embrace the rod and the staff through helpful encouragement, discouragement, praise, or scolding according to how the child handles leadership or life's challenges or the situations they're in. Verse 5, charity doth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Evil. The loving parent isn't overly possessive, protective, and quick to take slight of other people's treatment of their children. Now this is kind of a biggie sometimes. We can, you know, our children are with other children, and something happens, and Johnny comes home, and or especially if it's Susie comes home and says, you know, so-and-so did this to me. They hurt me. They said something nasty about me. And it's, it's easy for us to, you know, respond quickly, protectively to our children, to those slights. But that doesn't really help the situation, does it? Uh, loving parents help their children work through those slights or those relational difficulties rather than to lash out at the slight givers. There will be slights and we need to, or there will be offenses. There will be times when maybe our children aren't treated correctly. And we need to, at those times, take those, those situations and use them as a time to help our children understand maybe what the world's about. That this is something they can expect, something they'll have to work through and work with and move ahead. Loving parents don't try to manipulate or control circumstances in such a way to promote their children in a worldly sense or at other people's expense. 
Now, that was a long sentence. Okay, loving parents don't try to manipulate or control circumstances in such a way to, to promote their own children. In other words, create things to move their children ahead or to give them a step up above others or things like that. They know better than that. Uh, for one, it's not godly. And the other, it puts our children in an awkward position to do something like that. Um, children should be allowed to, to uh, or encouraged to develop um, quickly at their, at their pace in the way God has intended them to. They should be encouraged, but not with the sense of one-upping other children or other people. Loving parents give parents and other parents' children a latitude or a margin of error, the benefit of the doubt in the relationships or issues that are part of daily life. Loving parents give other parents, other children, a, a latitude, a, a margin of error, or the benefit of the doubt in these daily things that come up in life. And that's an important thing to, to train our children, to, to help them to understand that uh, we're not all going to think the same and, and uh, to give other people allowances. Okay, verse six. Verse six. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. <clears throat> Charity doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoiceth in the truth. This verse, perhaps, is the one that really stood out to me the most. Rejoiceth in the truth. If parents truly rejoice in the truth, it's really going to move the family in the right direction. <clears throat> Rejoiceth not in iniquity. Loving parents by testimony of their lives and their godly character rejoice in truth. They love truth. Their children can depend on their word. The parents may not always say the right things. They may not always make the right choices. And they may even have to backpedal at times. Nevertheless, their word, the parents' word, is sincere. Their hearts are seeking the truth. And just as the sunflower will position itself toward the sun, so the loving parent will be found in his quest for truth and their projection of it, of truth, to his family. Just like the sunflower follows the sun. I remember in Romania, that was something that always, I always found interesting. It was a beautiful sight. They had sunflower fields that stretched out as far as you could see. And so you'd have these ripe sunflowers this big around, and they'd be, there we had used sunflower oil mostly for cooking. So you'd have these ripe sunflowers, and you'd be driving down the road, and the sun's over here, and the sunflowers are all like this. And you know, the next part of the day, where the sun would be over there, and the sunflowers are like that. And it always, it always, uh, it never failed to, I never fa failed to marvel at how how that they would do that. How that you know, plant other plants do that as well, but the sunflower is so distinct in its, in its movement. 
Well, that's how the loving parent is. It may not make the right, he may not, or she may not always make the right choices, may not always say the right things, but just like that sunflower is following the sun, and it's, it, it looks for the sun, it, so will that parent look for truth, look for God's will for his family. He'll project that to his children, even if it requires backpedaling, even if it requires saying sorry, or saying, you know, this is not really where we want to be. We'll move a little bit here. <clears throat> a loving parent <clears throat> a lo- <clears throat> excuse me. A loving parent will not knowingly harbor or practice hypocrisy. They'll definitely not tell their children. Do as I say, not as I do. That, that's not going to come from a, a, a loving parent. I'm talking about a parent with charity, the God's charity. Nor will they push their children to live at a higher standard than they themselves are willing to live at. A few examples in teaching their children to drive safely and not to speed and text while driving. They speak to themselves. I'm going to hear about this. In teaching their children to be respectful to their neighbors and the inefficient clerk at the fast food, they speak to themselves. And the loving parent will teach by clear example what is proper language, and their children won't be learning vile language useful usage from them. The child's not going to hear his father saying a word uh, that he shouldn't say, and if he does, the loving father or mother will correct that not only in the child but in themselves as well. The parent who rejoices in the truth will not resort to manipulation to have his child do his will. Now this is a a bit maybe on the other side of tools that God has given us. When we think of the rod and the tools God has given us for directing our children into uh, the path they should go. This is one tool that many many parents use that I don't believe has any place in the Christian parents' uh, toolbox, and that is manipulation, such as the boogeyman or Santa Claus. I don't think those should have a meaningful place in the Christian parents' vocabulary in their toolbox of of a word, you know, you don't do this. The boogeyman will get you up. We uh, in Romania it was the bow bow, and you know that that's not that's not going to to take our children where we want them to be. I don't believe. I heard a rather humorous story on a on a higher level. Uh, read one here recently. I'll share. This is a story of a Midwestern father who calls up his daughter in California. It was, they were nearing the Easter season. And he called her up and he, he sorrowfully explained to her that he and her mother's relationship wasn't going very well and that he didn't know how long they'd managed to, to stick together. Things were just falling apart. The daughter was shocked and uh, did her best to encourage her distraught father to you know, hang in there and, and keep on trying. 
Their conversation ended on a rather morose note. A few hours later, the phone rang back to the father. The father picks it up. It was the daughter. And she delivered the news that her and her brother who lived in Maine would be out the following weekend to help their father and mother work through their marriage problem to, to get this thing taken care of. So that call ended on a bit of a brighter note. They said they both bought tickets and they'd be out that following weekend. So after the call is done, the father walks into the living room and uh, where, you know, mother is sitting peacefully knitting, no, no, no signs of, of marriage distress on her, on her brow or forehead. And uh, he says, mother, mother says, yes. He says, well, honey, he says, we better get the house clean. The children are going to be here for Easter after all. Well, you get the, you get the point. You know, it was a, a long, a long uh, manipulative sort of story that's rather humorous. But I don't think that these sorts of things, and that was for illustrative purposes, these sorts of things have place, have any place in the, the tool package of the, of the Christian parents. Parents who love their children and the truth simply are not going to resort to deceit. And I'll add to this, deceit may manage a temporary crisis, but it comes at the cost of a long-term distrust. Deceit may manage a temporary crisis, but it comes at the cost of a long-term distrust. Verse 7, beareth all things. Just speaking of charity again. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. The loving parent bears the responsibilities of, of, of parenting joyfully. The, the following psalm, uh, I think, puts it into the light that God would have it be. That's Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of the mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. I believe whether we have a quiver full, whatever children God has given us is our quiver full. And maybe, you know, I don't know, we might be here as, as uh, not being fathers or mothers this morning, but God's given us responsibilities and he's given us lives to touch, whether it be young children, older children, whether it be adults we're working with, he's given us lives to touch. And I think whatever they are, we can in a sense, use this verse for them. But I, I am especially thinking of parents who are in the middle of, of raising children. All the responsibilities of parenting are not to be viewed as, as a sacrifice, an obligation, but rather as an eternal investment for the glory of God. The loving parent believes in his children. They believe in their children. They believe in the ability of their children to do right and to be successful in God's calling for them. You know, there might be times where we become discouraged about our children and raising them or whatever. Uh, but I, th I think it's so important that we realize that our children, every one of them, uh, have a, God has a plan for them and we need to be looking for that. Loving parents hold high ideals for their children. 
they're willing to walk through high tide or roaring river to help their children attain these high ideals. I'm not talking about getting a very successful job or that sort of thing, but I'm talking about bringing a child up in, in the fear of God and in, in doing what he's finding his place for him. The loving parents are patient and have to endure a lot. It says, uh, it, says uh, it endures uh, endureth all things. And so the loving, the loving parent has to be, be patient and, it, and uh, endures a lot. Uh, just ask my mother about that. She could tell you probably a lot. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. The love of God will not vanish. The rest will. Nothing is more important for the Christian parents than to communicate the love of God to their children through, number one, godly example, Number two, diligent use of the rod, whether in comfort, rebuke, discipline, or encouragement. Many times, or sometimes, it may be just holding steadfast when a, teen, when a teenager is going through a crisis. Holding steadfast to principled conviction when our son or daughter is going through a crisis. And... Most of all, having a sincere love and interest for our children and the way that God has planned for them. God bless you.